Well, this morning I'm preaching on facing spiritual warfare, positioned for victory over the enemy's works. Someone say hallelujah. Someone say amen. Someone say boom. I'm waking you up. I'm waking you up. All right. I've had an unusual amount of individuals coming to me sharing the heavy spiritual warfare going on in their lives. As a pastor, that's pretty normal on the day-to-day to hear individuals that are going through different, uh, different things that could be spiritual warfare. But when it comes in such a way where there's, an, there's a kind of an onslaught, if you will, we got to pay attention. And then you pray, like, is this something that we're supposed to respond to? And so I felt like in the house, this is something that we are supposed to respond to. And I love the perfect segue of moving us from intimacy into a place of warfare, because it has to come through that connection with God, that we have true authority, that we learn to hear his voice and respond with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks every chain. And so we're going to go after that this morning. We'll see how far, how far we get. So the enemy may be coming at you guns blazing, but how much more grace and power is available for those that know the Lord, and he's the one that moves us from the defense to the offense, and God is pouring out incredible glory, incredible miracles, and power at this time. And some of you have been facing this real onslaught, feeling maybe far from God, feeling shame or guilt in your life. Um, feeling different things coming at you, battles with temptation, maybe so much so that you don't even want to share it with individuals. It's almost embarrassing the amount of temptation that you're facing right now. Um, Others have been hit financially or with different health issues. How many of you know that sometimes when doctors don't know what something is, you're like, that's a key right there. That could be the enemy at work, an assault of the enemy, and it should cause faith to arise to see that thing wiped out and to see the person healed. Uh, Families have been gripped by what their kids are going through, um, heightened family issues. Um, But here's the deal. We want to stand with those who might be in warfare. Maybe that's not your season of warfare, but we get to be in a season continuously of standing with those who are going through different experiences like that. And so we want individuals to come into absolute freedom that is offered to them through life in Jesus. Someone say amen to that. Um, I want to throw up a quote here. Um, This is from The Art of War, not a a Christian book, but um, this individual's son, Su, he's a Chinese general. This is hundreds of years before Christ. And he, he was a military strategist that revolutionized war and kind of like warfare as we know it. And so this is what he says about warfare. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. And we are seeing so much spiritual warfare escalating. But how many of you know we do not wrestle against flesh and blood? And that the enemy has one goal to keep you from the knowing of God and keeping you from the destiny of knowing God and bringing that destiny of Jesus lived out from your life as well. And so the way they do that is planting strongholds in our thoughts. if you think about a recent, a recent war kind of in our generations or some individuals that are still living, I think about the Viet- Vietnam War and how really it was a failure for the U.S. Why was that a failure? Because we did not understand the tactics of the enemy. We didn't understand guerrilla warfare. We didn't understand their land. We didn't understand how they fought. And that was a lesson for us, wasn't it? And, and right now, I think we're kind of living in that as believers when it comes to spiritual warfare. And we really get confused about what's going on. And we have to start off with the fact that we are in a war. We are not living on a playground, we are living on a battleground. And when you're in an attack, knowing your enemy is half the battle. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. This is Paul speaking, and he's he's actually talking about the topic of forgiveness. But the point I wanna make is, He's, he's asking, give into this place of forgiveness, verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. 
We cannot be a people who are ignorant of the works of the enemy. So there's an importance in knowing his plan so that we can know how to live in response and live ultimately in victory. Now let's turn to Mark chapter five, if you have your Bibles. Mark chapter five. Wow, I'm almost deafened by the pages flipping in the room. It's okay, phones. Phones are silent. Gives a nice pause for us just to breathe for a second. Mark chapter five. This is the story of the demonized man at the Gerizines. And I first want to pose this question. Did you know that demonic spirits want to express themselves through physical bodies? And here Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee. He gets to the other side and they confront this man who had been living in tombs. He's out of his mind, scaring the entire region with how he's acting. He's running from tomb to tomb. He's cutting himself with rocks. He has this spirit of suicide upon him where he's yelling out and screaming out and scaring individuals. They didn't have a sane asylums back then, but what they did try to do was chain him up. They tried to chain him up, and because of the demonic powers, he broke through even the chains. So this is serious. I mean, people back then, they, they were not, they were not uh, wrestling if there was a spiritual realm. <laughs> you know, they were like, okay, we're watching this, this man with some darkness in his life breaking through chains. And so here's what's going on in Mark chapter five. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the, the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. You know, what's interesting there is he's calling out who Jesus is. He's already telling him he's son of the most high God. It took the disciples of Jesus a while to figure that one out. But here this demonized man is crying it out. Don't torture me. And here's the response of Jesus. He said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And here's what happens. You know, this, this one is a little funny for the, the nice Sunday school flannel graph. You know, welcome Timmy, welcome Jane. Let me teach you about the demonized man today. I'm so glad your parents dropped you off in Sunday school. Here's a demonized man cutting himself. And here's what happens when the demons leave. Are you ready for this? Get some pigs up on the flannel graph, everyone. Because what happened was that the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. Jesus is like, sure, deviled ham today, let's go. And the spirits went into the pigs. 2,000 pigs ran off of the hillside and drowned into the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine 2,000 pigs oinking themselves into the Sea of Galilee? <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that's quite a story, isn't it? It caused a stir so much so that the people are like, okay, Jesus, you can leave now, please. Leave the region. This is freaking us out. But what God spoke to this man who got free, it says, go. And he made him an evangelist. Go back to your family. Tell them what I have done. What a story, right? This man had been absolutely crippled by the spirits of torment, death, and suicide. And that spirit of suicide manifested itself in the pigs. The man gets free. He's clothed in his right mind. And, and here's these, these spirits that have attached themselves to a body and drowned themselves in the Sea of Galilee. One of the best books that we have on spiritual warfare is the book of Ephesians. And the reason that is, is because in Ephesus, they had the Temple Diana, they had satanic activity, they had all sorts of cults, 
And so here's a church in Ephesus trying to worship Jesus, but they're getting all these individuals that are influenced by the culture and religions of the town. And it's starting to bleed into the church and bring a lot of confusion. And so Paul's aware of this. Some of you, you're like, I can relate to that in LA a little bit. A little blend, a little mixture going on. What's going on over here? So Paul's like, I'm gonna address that, the book of Ephesians. And so the whole purpose of him writing this book is to to bring a response to that. And so he goes on to say right at the beginning, he, he gives them a blessing of grace and peace. Grace, not only God's divine favor over their life, but also the divine influence of their heart to not influence you out of a place of victory, but to propel you into a place of victory. He knows that his words of grace are power-packed to give a blessing into people's lives. And then he blesses them with peace. This Greek word for peace is very closely related to the Hebrew word shalom, which, which is also one of those words that's just continuing to unfold. It doesn't just mean peace. It means that there's nothing missing. There's nothing broken. Everything comes into well-being, contentment, and rest. Shalom. And he goes on from that place, and I'm sure he's fired up, and the Holy Spirit's working through Paul as he's writing this, and he knows how to speak to the individuals in Ephesus and what they need. He knows that he needs to remind them who they are and whose they are. He speaks to them, let me remind you once again who Christ is and where he's seated. Let me remind you once again that you are a son or a daughter seated with him in heavenly places. You are above the spiritual warfare that's going on in this place. You are not going to succumb to it. You're not going to drown in it. You rise above because you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so here we have um, Ephesians 1 that talks about our union and our identity in Jesus. And it says in verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's reminding him, he's charging them. This is who you are. Do not succumb to the pressures of warfare that you're experiencing in your body. This is who you are. Let me call you out into the reality of where you are actually seated. And in Ephesians chapter 6, we see towards the end of the book where he's, he's giving this charge of this is who you are. This is your true identity. This is what Jesus has done. But now let me remind you of the warfare that you're in and how to confront that. Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. This is not just a cute little following that we have that starts to tell us about put on the breastplate of righteousness, make sure you buckle your belt of truth, make sure you gird up your loins, everyone. This is not meant to be a cute one by one, put on your armor, oops, I forgot my sword today. He's saying this is who you are in Christ. This is who you are. The belt of truth. That is the very thing. Truth itself causes you to be firm, solid foundation. So when we don't have truth, when it's just relative, there is no foundation. Truth allows you to be prepared for battle. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. How many times do we need to remind ourselves of that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? That is the place that protects our heart, protects our very core, our soul. We need to remind ourselves over and over again of the righteousness of God, how he's made us holy and pure, that we are saints in him. He's calling us to a place of, you are not suffocating under warfare. You are not just a wretch anymore. Arise, warrior. This is who you are. 
Our feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, a shield of faith that extinguishes flaming arrows of the evil one, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the spirit. That's the word of God. The enemy literally fears the word of God because it is a sword and he's been disarmed. So when, when we would realize this, and then we realize that unbelievers do not have this kind of weaponry. They do not have this kind of protection. They are totally susceptible to demonic attacks. They are easily open to demonic forces. But we have the power to speak to these forces that come against us in the name of Jesus, and they must obey. Luke 10, 19, let's put it up. Behold, I have given you authority. I have given you authority. That's you, some of you need to hear that. I've been given authority. I know the man up on stage has been given authority, but me, little old me, you have been given authority if you're a follower of Jesus. And that authority is to tread on serpents and scorpions. You're like, scripture is so weird sometimes. Serpents and scorpions. Where are the snake handlers in church? Hey, it could be literal. Snakes and scorpions, remember Paul? He got bit by a snake, it didn't even affect him, he threw it in the fire. He's like, NBD, we're good, we're fine. Snakes, scorpions, I believe it, I receive it. If you get bit by a rattlesnake out on Runyon Canyon, quote, open your Bible to Luke chapter 10. Behold, I have been given authority of all snakes and scorpions. Do, you could do it. Um, I think more importantly, it's talking about demonic forces coming our way. Crushing the head of the serpent. Sound more familiar? Crushing any attack of warfare that comes your way. That's who we are in Christ. You have been given that authority. We do not have to fear. When we obey God, we've humbled ourselves and have our armor on and we walk in obedience, and if you are doing that, you have nothing to fear. And that brings us to our next question. How does the enemy gain access in our lives? People find all sorts of ways of inviting demonic activity into their lives. Often they don't even know it, but it's giving legal authority for the enemy to influence you. Satan is a legalist, and he will take whatever foothold he is capable of getting. I, I talked a few, weeks about, a few weeks ago about the four doors. The four doors is, is a tool part of Sozo ministry. Um, you, can, you, you can use it in all sorts of different ways, but the four doors teaches that all sin comes from four key areas. There's fear, hatred, sexual sin, and the occult. Let's go ahead and, oh, it's already up there. Good job, Alex. He's got me. I'm, I'm flying through. I'm flying through. Take photos, take notes, whatever you need to do. We're Russian. And so I talked about this, how door number one of fear, which is the most common sin that people deal with, sins of worry, unbelief, need to control, anxiety, isolation, apathy, or even drugs and alcohol are behind that door. There's the door of hatred. This door contains bitterness, envy, gossip, slander, anger, even self-hatred or low self-worth. Door three, sexual sin. Adultery, pornography, fornication, lewdness, molestation, rape, fantasy even is behind this door. The door of occult and witchcraft, sins of astrology, fortune telling, tarot cards, seances, Ouija boards, manipulation, participation in covens, casting curses, and witchcraft. Movements like the New Age or Reiki are behind this door of occult and witchcraft. And we talked about this before, we went, we went a little more in depth, but even being able to close the door, you don't have to fear that. You're like, oh my gosh, do I, have, do I have open doors in my life? Quite possibly so, but it's okay, because up here to snap a photo, we got our next prayer. There it is. Pray to close open doors. By the authority that I just spoke, by that same authority, you can pray this prayer with you and the Lord, you can pray it with a prayer partner, you can pray it with a small group, but whatever the Holy Spirit is highlighting, go to him, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you're highlighting? Any open doors in my life? 
and you can see the movement of the spirit and the power of the blood break every curse and break every agreement legally that you have made. And it's almost like the things that you've been, been allowing the enemy to hold on to, when you legally, when you legally break those agreements, it's like they have nothing to hold on to anymore and they have to go. And so we're seeing a lifestyle. We, we see a lifestyle of living in the light. And I'm going to talk about that in just a bit. So what are some ways that we win? How do we win? Number one, humility and obedience. Humility is your utter dependence on God and posturing yourself yielded and, and, and elevating the Lord and even others above yourself. It's, it's taking that servant kind of role of humility. And so when we're talking about humility and obedience, we have to surrender any area of our life that is not surrendered to the cross and the Lordship of Jesus. That is one of the ways that we win. Um, I'm gonna flip scriptures, Alex, but we got James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the number one way that we resist the devil is by our submission to God. I think it's so interesting. Uh, let's now look at 2 Peter 2.19. These, these voices, the allures of the world, they promise freedom. They promise what they think is freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And so one of the most deceptive things that the enemy is doing right now is bringing individuals that might be in a leadership role, might be in a parental role, might be in some sort of headship kind of role in your life. And there's been so much corruption of leaders, corruption of pastors, corruption of teachers, corruption, you name it. Our generation is worn out from seeing corruption of leaders. Am I not wrong? Am I not wrong? We are, we are tired of seeing corruption of leaders. But this is a tactic of the enemy because he knows that if he can get us to distrust our leaders, if he can get us to distrust authority, he can get us to distrust God's authority in our lives. And so all of a sudden we're heightened with this kind of rebellion in us. I've, I've, been, I've been worn out by these leaders. Time and time again, they fail me. And so we start chipping away at, at something in our souls that actually wants to bring a bit of rebellion back to the voice of God. It's a tactic of the enemy. But true covering, true leadership actually brings us into a place of direction, protection, and provision. It is meant to be for our benefit. And healthy authority doesn't exercise authority for its own sake. It does so for those that are under its care. And so there has to be, I mean, I'm passionate about that as well. I want to bring a health to authority back in the church. But, but God himself is the healthiest of all authority. And, and we learn through his faithfulness that we truly can trust him and want to trust him, that he's better than we could ever think he could be. And so as you begin to walk with him, you want to submit to his goodness and his mercy that follows you all the days of your life. But, but that is a scheme of the enemy to get us into a place of rebellion. Did you know that the number one command in satanic practices is rebellion? Do what thy will. There's a scheme to attack authority and to enter into a place of rebellion. This is classic. Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. And what does, what does God say to Cain? If you obey me, won't you do well? But he chose rebellion and killed his brother. And so we are meant to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. The number one way we resist the devil is our submission, our yieldedness to God. We can quote scripture all day long. We can say it with a booming voice. We can say it with conviction. You can shout it till you're blue in your face and try to do all sorts of warfare. But if you're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus and his authority, the enemy is just gonna laugh at you. So when it comes to obedience, ask the Holy Spirit, are there any areas of my life that I have not yet submitted to God? God, are there areas that I've opened the doors to the door to the enemy because I refuse to submit it to you? 
feel free to go ahead and take a picture of that as well and, and read through that and spend time with the Holy Spirit this week in your time with him. So the next question I want to hit is, how then do we walk in the light? If the enemy is darkness, how do we walk in the light? Well, what is walking in the light? It is it's walking in the truth of God. It's where we begin to think like Jesus. We get to, to think with God's heartbeat, his thoughts, and then we begin to live that, and eventually we begin to speak that. It's walking in the light and then speaking the truth and the power of God through our own mouths. Let's now turn to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is gathered with religious leaders who had caught a woman in the act of adultery. I mean, first of all, how embarrassing is that? You're in front of the the holiest to vow kind of individuals, and they throw this woman down. Look at what she's done. Hey, Hey, let's get that Jesus guy and see what he has to say about this. What does Jesus have to say about us? They're always trying to catch Jesus and trip him up, right? And so in this passage, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They're trying to trap him. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, this is immediately after writing something in the dust of the ground, which we actually don't know what he wrote. I love that it kind of remains a mystery. He wrote something in the dust with his finger, but they kept demanding. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. So he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I, and sin no more. Now, often we like to pause right there. I think most Bibles actually have a little page break, a little strategic page break right there, because there's something in us that that has this like, oh, I love that. You who have not sinned, throw the first stone. I'm going to use that sometime when someone's coming at me. (laughs) Have you not sinned? Throw your stone. Cast your stone, brother. And so here we have like this kind of conviction in us. But do you notice that Jesus didn't just stop there with the most extreme act of mercy, but he said, go and sin no more. And then we have verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. It's walking in the light. He is extreme with his mercy, extreme with reaching out and bringing you near. But then he charges you, go and sin no more. Now walk in the light. And he gives you the grace and the enabling power to do so. So number one, obedience and humility. The second way to win is by the way that we think. Philippians 4.8, Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worth, worthy of praise, think about those things. This is your list. This is what we're supposed to ponder. These are the things that we're supposed to set our minds upon. And then we have in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that self sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does that look like? So I have a part to play in taking every attack, every thought, and I'm supposed to take it captive and make that obedient to Christ. Okay, that sounds like a lot of work. It's the renewal of our minds. That's where we're transformed, the renewal of our minds. It's our thought life. Scientists did a study several years ago, uh, Derek Prince talks about this, where there is a, a large boa constrictor, snake, 
for those of you that might not be aware of what a boa constrictor is, a large boa constrictor, and they put in the cage a little finch. And the finch went berserk. Up in the far corner, wherever the, the twigs could let it be safe, it's freaking out, fluttering, 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 this finch in the corner, because it knows that the enemy is right there. But the boa just stood still. The boa was absolutely still. And so the finch starts to kind of calm down a little bit. Given enough time, the finch starts to pause. Now the finch starts to get closer to the snake. The snake is completely still the entire time. Soon enough, the finch comes, tilts its head, a little curious at this thing. Gets a little bit closer. The snake opens its mouth, and the finch walks into the mouth. The power of seduction. The power of evil and seduction. Scripture doesn't say, keep your eyes focused on demonic powers. It says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And if Satan's or demons or demonic influence get in the way of you focusing your attention on Jesus, blast them out of it. Blast them out of your vision. Keep your eyes back on Jesus. In fact, so many individuals even out of curiosity, can get themselves in trouble. They might, they might have a curiosity about spiritual warfare, and it takes them down a road. I, I heard an example recently about, um, I think it was an assistant youth pastor that, that was so curious and was like, I think we need to know the different covens that they're making, and I think we need to, we need to learn what these different um, seances are. And, and soon enough, he was having like witches astro project into his room, and it was really causing a lot of trouble in his life as you can imagine. So we have to know what is wise, and we are not meant to be those looking under every rock and being demon-crazed. We can be wise, we can know our enemy, but our eyes are meant to be fixed on Jesus. That's where our gaze is meant to be. You can actually, you can actually study yourself into a place of fear. <laughs> Open another door with your own fear. Great. Another, another way to win. We've got obedience and humility. Two, the way we think. Number three, the power of speaking. Proverbs 18, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Jesus said, if you speak to the mountain, it will be removed. So often people refuse to say things out loud. Paul even calls the gospel the word of faith. We can speak boldly to situations knowing the word and knowing the heart of God to bring freedom. And so how do you blast these things out of your sight? How do you, how do you blast them out of, your, out of your sphere so you're clear and not oppressed by the enemy? We have to speak. By speaking truth, uh, by the power of the word and the power of the spirit. Even Jesus said time and time again when he was facing different demonic forces, it is written. He was speaking powerfully the word of God into a situation, bringing the sword of truth into a moment. And if that's how Jesus did it, who is God manifest in the flesh, walking with the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to know it, receive it, believe it, and use it when we are confronted by different demonic forces. We have to speak. So many times people don't know how to, and so they just kind of survive under the weight of whatever's going on spiritually. But it's time to pause our, our conversations. Sometimes we're with friends, and we're just trying to figure it out. Like, I don't know, I just feel spiritual warfare. It's so heavy. I don't know what to do about it. Maybe it's this person. Maybe it's, I, it's that person for sure causing that in my life. Right? And you, you, you start freaking out like that little finch in the corner. It's sometimes you're meant to go to your prayer closet, get alone with the Lord, Holy Spirit. What's the answer to this? What's going on? He'll bring scriptures to mind. You know, start attaching some faith to it. I speak to this thing right now in my life, this heaviness, this depression that's starting to come into my life. And I say depression and every spirit attached to it be expelled from my life right now. I, I, 
I take apart any attachment that I have made with depression, any yes that I've given legally, I detach it by the power of the Spirit and the blood of the Lamb. And I say, depression, you got to get out of here. You cannot come back. You cannot come back into my life. Do you see the switch from being like, oh, I'm just so depressed. I'm under it. I don't know what to do about it. Which there are moments that you're going to be there. And that's where your friends come in to remind you who you are. We have to speak. Next, we have to praise. Psalm 149 and 150 are all about this specifically, that praise is our weapon of warfare. We're up here this morning. I'm going to give praise. I'm going to give praise. That is warfare. Worship and praise is your warfare. I think about the Helsers when they, when they, rate, when they wrote, raise a hallelujah. And if I, if I am remembering this correctly, this just came to me. So if I'm remembering this correctly, they had a friend of theirs who had a little boy that was on its deathbed. And they sent this, this song that they felt like the Lord gave them in the middle of the night, just through a voice memo. They sent this song to this little boy who was on his deathbed. Raise a hallelujah. I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery, in the middle of the difficulty. I'll raise my hallelujah. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. And this boy, that night, everything turned around and he was completely healed. Our praise is a weapon of warfare. In fact, there's, there's um, Psalm 24 that talks about the king of glory. I love that we were singing about the king, the king of glory today, his lordship, because the king of glory in Psalm 24 is Jesus himself, but it doesn't end there just being the king of glory. He is mighty in battle. He is our warrior. He is the one that fights on our behalf, and he is the lion that lives inside of you. He is the king of glory of your life. And the king of glory wants to roar and expel every bit of darkness that tries to suffocate you. This is the God that we serve. Aren't you glad that we have a warrior living inside of you? Um, John and Lisa Brevere, I, I love their teaching, highly recommend them. Um, I, was, I was definitely um, super encouraged by their teaching on this and, and kind of taking bits and pieces as well. But John talks about how in the mid-90s, he was just going through an oppressive spiritual warfare in his own life. And he was like, no one was home, and I felt like the Lord said to praise. And I was like, okay. Because when you're in it, you're not like, let me turn on some praise and worship. You're like, you're feeling it, right? You're like, let me just get my head off this pillow. Now, he turned on a nice Maranatha maybe song, celebrate. Jesus, celebrate, celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Some of you were at camp and did that. Probably better than me, but probably not as good as that. No. Okay, so, so John turned on Celebrate, Jesus, Celebrate, and he's like, I felt like the Lord said to dance, and it felt like I was dancing through lead. Celebrate. Uh, okay, cool. This is embarrassing. And he's like, the tape, the cassette tape finished. Rewind it, John. Play it again. Okay. And some vision of Jesus came and the anointing of God came that ignited him. And he saw what Jesus was doing through that. And so he said, something lit within me. And I started running through the halls of my house. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. You know, and the whole thing lifted off of him. His wife came home from getting groceries or whatever she's doing, literally came in the house before speaking to him and said, whoa, the whole atmosphere is different. Why are we trying to fight spiritual things with our physical response? We are meant to fight them in the spirit. Your simple dancing a jig assigned by the Lord can break whatever yoke of slavery is over you. The key, the key is Holy Spirit, what's the key? Holy Spirit, what are the keys? Because we can try all sorts of different things, but ultimately we need to hear by the Spirit of God the key that unlocks you from your prison. 
That's called the anointing, where we take our ordinary, we take an ordinary dance, an ordinary worship song, but the Spirit of God descends on it and packs it with power, and that's what frees you in a moment. So we have to speak, we have to praise, and we have to confess. Healing happens when we confess, both out loud, out loud to the Lord, out loud to the spirit realm, but confession even to one another. And I'm challenged by even this one, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Isn't that fascinating? You'd think it'd be like confess your sins so you feel better about yourself or something like that, right? So you feel a little more free. It's so you may be healed. I think that's spiritually and physically that you may be healed. When you, when you give Jesus your sins, when you give that ownership to him of your sins, your sins no longer own you. And that, that is a key to walking in that kind of freedom. And so I wanna just end with a couple things to help you in the battle. Number one, partner with people of faith. I have so many individuals that are fighting the things that they're going on. They come here to church. They have a phone call with me, whatever it is. But then they go off with, with all sorts of individuals in their lives that are dragging them down. If you're in a place of warfare specifically, get with people that will pull you higher. I can't stress how important that is. That's one reason church is such an incredible space. We're not meant to do this alone. We are meant to have community around us where we can sharpen each other, encourage each other, call each other higher. Number two, know your position in Christ. Remember I said Luke 10, 19, tread on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. I'm, I'm in Jesus' name, I know my position. I am crushing the head of the serpent under my feet. You will not harm me. I will rise up. I will take my strength in the Lord. I am the head. I am not the tail. I am above. I am not beneath. We have to know our position in Christ. Number three, we have to connect with God. I mentioned this already. We have to connect with him. Get alone with the Lord. Say, God, I'm facing this right now. I don't know what to do. I need your help. Speak. Speak. If you need to do this with another individual because you just can't get there, grab them. I need to pray with you. We need to seek the Lord. Let him speak. Let him speak. We need to hear the voice of the Lord. Um, I was just chatting with a friend yesterday. I was like, what, what helps you in, in different seasons of, of when you have like oppression or warfare? And we talked about it for a moment. And I was reminded of a time um, when I knew her, when the Lord actually instructed her for for I think 30 days, if not longer. This was the, this is the, the response of the Lord when she was coming to, to him. He said, I want you to take a lemon every day and to bite it. And there is something in this prophetic act that was part of the breakthrough in her life that, that I could see as a friend, noticeable change after that time. And so the Lord will speak sometimes through ordinary or unordinary kind of acts like that. And his power is actually speaking in those moments. There was, there was probably a symbolism of like the bitterness or the sourness and just kind of like the, the process of prayer in the act that actually brought the breakthrough. But the key is to go to the Lord and say, how do you want to bring freedom here? How am I supposed to respond to this warfare that's coming at me? It could be something in your own life. Maybe you have an open door of, of sin in some sort of way that's allowing a foothold. Maybe it's someone in your life that's causing and wreaking havoc through their behavior. But, he, but rather than just blame them, he will give you strategy of how to respond. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through a conversation. There's all sorts of ways, and that this is not a formula. This is going in relationship and intimacy with God and finding out how he wants you to respond. And fourth, endure. We have to endure. We are a culture that wants immediate results. And sometimes, if not all times, I want those immediate results too. But sometimes we have to walk through a season of warfare, a season of heaviness. 
Think about it. If you've got, if you've got warfare, you've got um, a parent that has an illness, you know, maybe, maybe they're not instantly healed, even if you're going for it, you're praying for it, and you have a sense that this is warfare, but you have to go through a season of fighting that, and it can be really tiring, really tiring. But we are called to not give up. We are called to be those that endure, endure. Some battles take time. Keep declaring the word of God. Keep pushing through. The more that you come against me, the more authority I'm going to end up with. Take your stand in the overcoming. Fight for what you know is right. And here's the difference between something that is, I'm probably not going to say this perfectly, but there are things that we see as facts. Um, I'm sorry, your, your mother has this sickness. That's a fact, isn't it? But we are those that ascend to the heavenlies. In, in fact, we're seated in the heavenlies. And so we get a heavenly perspective. Okay, the doctor said, this is what my mom has. But what does the Lord say about it? And we start attaching with truth that trumps the temporary earthly facts. And we pull down heaven to earth in a moment and we bring the influence of heaven, the truth of heaven into a moment through our power-packed declarations and prayers and attach faith to it. And we keep going. The Lord has spoken. He has healed by the blood of Jesus. By his stripes, we are healed. And so I'm going to speak once again over my mom. She's sick and she she hasn't seen the manifestation of, of full healing yet. But I speak in Jesus' name, be healed, be free. Increase in healing in Jesus' name. Every demonic stronghold must go right now in Jesus' name. Be free, be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. There's an ignition of faith that comes when we actually align from the heavenly places. And finally, if there's been a curse that's been spoken over you, we have to not be afraid of curses, but we have to know that blessings are more powerful than curses. Have we attached more faith to a curse than the blessing of our God? If an individual has cursed you, you know what you can do? You can forgive them. A blessing is more powerful than the curse. Pray for them that they'd be delivered from the deception that they're in. The battle that you are facing right now, think about a battle that you're facing right now. Did you know that that's an invitation into a higher place with God? That's an invitation into extreme authority. The very thing that you think is taking you out, that is an invitation to see breakthrough, not only in your life, but to pull other people into a place of breakthrough as well. We cannot be those that are just continuously discouraged by the thing that's heavy in our lives. And I might never get free from this thing. Maybe this thing's too much. This is going to be the thing that takes me out. No, this is the invitation for greater authority. The very thing that you're struggling with, you're going to bring people and disciple them into health in that area. This is the power of the gospel. This is, this is the word of faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God alive in you. And so we get to detach from all of this heaviness and weariness and and lack and these emotions that we get so caught up in. And we get to realign by fixing our gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Say, Jesus, here I am. I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. You are roaring like a lion. Would you fill my mouth, touch my tongue, purify my life? Can I be one that gives my yes in every single area of my life? Because I don't want to be one of compromise that gets snuffed out by the enemy's plans. I want to be alive and roaring with passion and fire and purpose. This is what I'm made to be. I will not settle for lack. I will not settle for giving into any kind of sin any longer in my life because I have vision for what is most important. I have vision for eternity. I have vision for my God that I have found such a love and fire for that this is worthless. This is trash in comparison to the sake of the gospel. We have to be those people that are roaring with the fire of the Holy Spirit again. Roaring with the fire of the Holy Spirit again. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me this morning?
Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it among the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in this holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Right now, if you felt and or if you just desire it and you want the King of glory to come into every area of your life, would you raise your hands right now? Let it be an act like you're lifting up the ancient gates right now in your own life. It's an act of praise. Our praise, our lifted hands are lifting up the gates. King of glory, come in. King of glory, come in. King of glory, the one who is strong and mighty for battle. Come into my life, God. Come into my life, God. I don't want to fight by myself any longer. I, I don't want to face any kind of spiritual attack by myself any longer. I have you, the King of glory, and I invite you right now. Come in. Come in. Wash me by the blood of the Lamb. Free me by the blood of Jesus. Let the redemptive scarlet thread move through my life just as it has from Rahab all the way interwoven through the scriptures directly to my heart. Let the scarlet cord of redemption be activated. Freedom come. King of glory come. Wash me. Renew me. Fill me. I want to be a man or a woman full of an obedient heart. I repent of any form of rebellion, anything that I've been holding on to. And I let it go at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. Fill me, God, with the knowledge and truth of the authority of the Spirit of God alive in me. Let me speak. Let me worship. Let me be. Let me be alive in my, in my, my personal time with you, God. And let that river flow from the throne and through my life into the desert lands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now go ahead and put your hand on your heart. And I speak a blessing right now in Jesus' name over everyone here. A blessing to walk in the light. A blessing to be a people of the light. To be a Jesus people. He is literally our everything. Everything else is just rubbish. He is our everything. And so I just speak a blessing of a realignment of what really matters and that Holy Spirit, you will guide us, you will teach us, you will direct us into how to live a life ignited, full of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Someone say amen. Amen. amen.